Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here for, uh, I don't know, episode 77? That sound about right? 77? Yeah. I'm going, that, that's a number I'm going with. Is that is that a good enough number? Either way, that's yeah. good enough. Yeah, it's fine. Well, 77, I like it. It sounds holy. <laughs> you know, you're right, huh? <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, you know. I got a bad feeling about this. Yeah, it's all I got to say about this particular episode. Me too. So what's going on today, man? Yeah, so uh, this is already our second podcast of the day. It is actually. I can tell you mean business. You're like, all right, man, let's get down to it. Well, we're going to talk today about uh, what to do when your worship leader is a prima donna. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed. Hey, are you going to play our clip from uh, our endorsement? Oh, you mean. Uh... Hi, this is Frank Viola from BeyondEvangelical.com, and you're listening to one of the most entertaining podcasts on the web today, the Church Planter Podcast with Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell. Jeez, I got to take a leak so bad I can taste it. <laughs> that, that, that last part was added in by Pete. Frank did not put that on. I don't know. I don't know. I thought that was the same voice as Frank. You okay, Hoser? I'm your father, Luke. Give in to the dark side of the force, you knob. He saw Jedi 17 times, eh? <laughs> yeah, born to be a church planner right there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we actually are, did, did we talk about this on another podcast? Am I just getting that old right now where I can't remember what we're talking about? Are you talking about just, the uh, your worship leader is a prima donna? No. Did, did we talk about what we're going to have all of our guys say? When we have them endorse us. Oh, you mean the uh, naked? Yeah. I don't know if we talked about it because we've talked about it so much off of the podcast. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. 
Yeah, Pete, Pete and I decided that when we have people endorse us like Frank did, we're going to have them say something completely ridiculous, like I have to take a leak so bad I can taste it. Or, you know, this is Frank Viola. You're listening to the Church Planner Podcast, and I'm not wearing any pants. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. So we had two guests on today, and the one guy set the other guy up. They were both on, and the one guy goes, oh, you go first, so-and-so. <laughs> and so the other guy went first and said something totally off the wall. Then the other guy throws him under the bus and says the funniest thing about him, but totally set him up, man. Yeah. It was awesome. But what's funny is, I mean, we can't play that clip because no one even knows who they are. Like, Because that, yeah. that recording that we did is airing next Monday. Yeah. Official, so, I should mention, they are official Church Planner Podcast sponsors. Yeah, and if you guys want to uh, make some of these up, and, uh, you know, uh, call in, we'll play them. So if you think, you know, if you want to do them like Frank did and, and then have a random comment at the end, put them on there and we'll, we'll play them for you. I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Yeah, I agree with Pete. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Forever immortalized on the Church Planner podcast. Absolutely. Jonathan Ferguson. Absolutely. So let's get into talking about your worship leader being a prima donna. That, that's an important question because... There's so much that the church planner is responsible for and that he can handle, um, things that he can safeguard. But, you know, we're all desperate for a good worship leader. And unfortunately, there are more people that can play instruments and sing than can lead worship. And there is a difference. You think so? Absolutely. Huh. Uh, for example, um, you... You can have a guy who goes, I'm a public speaker, right? I used to get this back when I was a preacher. Um, and I would have a guy say like he was a doctor. And he's like, I'm a doctor. I give presentations all the time. You would put him in the pulpit thinking, oh, this guy can totally talk. And they are not the same thing. Preaching and public speaking are different. And I know, you know, there's people like, what? But one is a spiritual exercise. The other is using your natural ability and natural ability surely doesn't help it doesn't hurt it's like being a worship leader um, but there is a gifting involved biblically speaking and practically you'll know the difference when a guy who can hold a room full of doctors stinks up the pulpit you'll you'll know the difference um, but there's a spiritual gift involved there and so when it comes to leading worship often you'll have a guy who goes up there and maybe he dreams of being like the next Hillsong singer, or he's, he's got stars in his eyes and he stinks up the room. I mean, in one sense, you know, he's, he can play well, he can sing well and worship leaders end up being such a, a, a thorn in the side of many leaders. And yet leaders are desperate to have someone hmm. lead worship when they're church planning. I don't, I don't know what you, I mean, that's, you I mean, it's interesting to me because, um, I mean, I kind of get that. Like I, I could really see how a worship leader could like, like it really feeds into the ego, right? Because, and I'm not saying this is the way they all are by any means. I'm just saying I could, I see it, right? I could get it because I mean, if you're a musician on any level, you've probably got like this dream maybe you had it when you were in high school i'm gonna be the next big thing right yeah and it never happened so you know the opportunity comes up oh great i get to lead worship you're in front of an audience 
And that's kind of feeding the ego, you know, of look at me, look at where I'm at. So I could see it happening. I guess I just never realized that that does happen because I just, you know me, right? I I hate church music. I mean, I I think it's just, you know, it's... it's, You know, and C.S. Lewis did too. Um, I went to... uh, And that's good company to be in. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. I'm just saying you're holier than you think, Pete. (laughs) I, I went to uh, Cambridge and Oxford and went to the church where C.S. Lewis went. It was a little Anglican church. Now, I remember going, and, you know, it's Anglican. I mean, the priest is wearing, it's an Anglican priest. He's not Roman, but he's Anglican. And uh, he's wearing his full-on robes. And then underneath, he's got Doc Martens. And I'm like, that dude's cool. He's, he's rock and roll. And, you know, turns out he plays guitar. I was talking with him afterwards, and uh, he, he was cool. Um, but he said, yeah, he said, uh, what C.S. Lewis used to do when he came to this church is um, he would come in late purposefully so he could miss the worship and he would listen to the sermon. And then as they were singing the last song, he would get up and he would go out. There was a side door and they said, and it slammed pretty hard. And so normally when someone would leave, they'd kind of catch it so it wouldn't slam. He said, not C.S. Lewis. <laughs> really? Why? Yeah, he, wanted he said them to he know would just leave and like slam every, every week, you know, and, and he's got the famous quote. I, I think I uh, quote it in Jump School, Cha-ching! Uh, which is my next book coming out, um, which he says, you know, uh, most worship is second rate lyrics set to third rate tunes. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing people rip off U2 and Coldplay and calling it worship. Like, I think God deserves better. But that's a whole other. I don't other, even know, you know what that means. What do you mean? Dude, well, I mean, so many of them are are playing just rehash U2 and Coldplay riffs. That you know, it's just this whole. I can tell when I'm going through, you know, the Christian. I can tell when I hit the Christian radio station by by the sound, and that's always kind of bothered me. I mean, I wasn't See, for raised me. It's in always church. because I can tell by the uh, nails on the chalkboard that I hear when I <laughs> find my way over to that station. But, but more important than anything, this is where, for me, okay, the music might suck, but I would much prefer like an old hymn um, because of the robustness of the lyrics, because of the theological depth, because most of them were written during times of revival. And I'm not a hymn dude. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm all for like modern, you know, whatever. But um I I just I like the old stuff because it came out of revival. There were times where people were being romanced by God, but you know they like like the common criticism. They didn't sound like chicks when they did it. You know they they still yeah, you know the worst. I I don't know. I mean I think that's great that that's what you enjoy, but it's not like it's good music. You know? No, I agree. I agree. In fact, and, that's, and that's I would what refer to I would refer specifically to the tune. Not the words, not the yeah. content. Yeah, no, no disagreement there. In fact, um, that's kind of my point: is if the music's gonna suck anyways, I'd rather just like sing something. At least the words are really good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. so anyways, you know, moving on from that because that's a side issue that that, that doesn't is. really matter to me. Um, you know, I I think you and I walk into it just saying, okay, it's not gonna be something I I pay for. You know what I mean? Um, well, but, it's not only that, but I mean, I, I don't know, because 
I, I just remember the switch over growing up, right? Because and we all know this, you know, one of the big uh, reasons for church splits used to be music. I don't know if it still is. It is. Is it still to this day? Yeah. Uh, Warren Wiersbe had his his quote in uh, the book Real Worship. He said, you know, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And he said what, what should be added to that statement is, and when he landed, he landed in the choir loft. <laughs> because that's the source of most contention in churches is over worship, right? Which is, to me, that's just insane. I mean, I hate. <laughs> it's quite ironic, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. Because I I literally hate the music that we do at our church. It's praise music. It's nails on a chalkboard to me, but it's not about me. And I Amen, get that it's brother. not about me. So I don't, I mean, it's not like I'm going to, and it's not like I'm offering anything better. I mean, I have no musical talent whatsoever other than the kazoo. I am a mean, mean guy <laughs> on the kazoo, but I've been known to blow out that little wax feeling on my kazoo. And I had to go to the music store to get replacements, man. I am a mean on the kazoo. Oh, my gosh. But other than that, I got no musical talent whatsoever. So it's not like. He's out of the kazoo. I've never heard that before. It's true, man. It's true. Oh, gosh. So oh, so I, I just, I do. I'm just picturing you playing kazoo. You know, there, there, was this, there was this album, like, back in the 80s. I'll never forget and it became like the biggest joke because we actually bought it for a guy in our youth group. And it was uh, Buddy Green's Praise Harmonica. <laughs> it, was like, it was like the smoking hymns, you know, Smoky Mountain hymns or something like that. And we would buy this junk. Like if we saw stuff like that that was just funny, that was our sense of humor, we'd buy it. I can just see it now, you know. Beat Mitchell's praise kazoo. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. And then, like, I picked the wrong week when I'm fitting I'm telling you, the hit song would be, you know, Mi Dragon is muy rapido. That would be one. You know, I would be on the Spanish version, but. Or or English. You never know. I mean, it it could happen. So, I mean, it's not like I'm, I'm offering up anything better. But like I said, I realize it's not about me. My wife is exactly the opposite. She loves that stinking radio station. You know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, it's like the, the same crap songs that we listen to on Sunday all day long. So I get it. Some people like it. So I just I just think it's really stupid, though, that you would get so bent out of shape that it ends up being a church split because you don't like the music. Well, you know, it, here's the thing. You hit on the key. Like, you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you said, but it's not about me. And so when I go into worship, I don't worry about the music. You know, the music is a tool. You know, I it, it helps me carry a tune. Um, when you sing, uh, every part of your brain is stimulated. It's the only activity in all of creation, like exercise, playing chess, reading a book, nothing stimulates every part of the brain except for music so it's not surprising to me that we sing to god and so music is a tool as far as i'm concerned now sometimes a really good tool right that can fill stadiums um but you know if if it's not going to be that way on sunday no problem you know it's still a tool and the depth of emotion that you hit when you sing something as opposed to say something i get why worship um, in in the Bible is musical because music has a special place scientifically. Isn't it uh, interesting though that it's not just music; it's music and dance. <laughs> 
Now, okay, now I know you're going to bust out something. Not only do you have a secret kazoo playing <laughs> talent, but come on, tell, hit me with the dance. No one now. can do the running man quite like me. <laughs> I can do the running man and the cabbage patch like nobody's business. Oh, man. I so you, you were just giving me the best mental pictures today. I'm dying. I'm sure by now at least one church planner has spit coffee all over his windshield. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, no, but, but seriously though, like, cause growing up Baptist, like <laughs> there's no dancing, right? It's like, oh, great. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about though, right? You're like, I'm on a cabbage patch. <laughs> <laughs> man, I really had the running man down, dude. I, oh, I you're it. like, I gotta get off campus. I gotta move. <laughs> <laughs> You know how like you could do the one where you hold the one leg with your hand and then you like jump your other leg forward oh, and back man, over you it. Stop you killing me. I could never do that one. I'm just saying that that one I never had down. I don't even know what it was called, but no, the only reason why I bring that up, the the whole dancing thing because I'm not kidding, like that was like evil growing up. Oh, I know. And I know. my wife loved to go dancing. Like when we first met, she was obviously we were both uh, um at Biola at the time. And she would go dancing every week with her best friend. And it was never like she went out and went drinking. They literally just loved to go dance. And they wouldn't dance with the dudes. I mean, they just would go and dance, I guess. I don't know. I'm not a dancer. So I kid you not, man. We'd only been dating like two, three months. And um, I kind of, I mean, I I went home that summer. And I think I was going to live at home. And then after like a week, I was like, that's it. I'm out of here. I can't stay. So I was there for a week and then it was her birthday. So um, her and her girlfriends, they drove up to San Francisco and they were going to spend the week up in San Francisco for her birthday. So my parents hadn't met her and uh, we've been dating, I don't know, like three months, whatever. And so um, she came over to our house, you know, probably for like a dinner or something. I, I don't think she came over for church or anything like that. And, so she's talking to my family, and I, at this point in my life, I'm what I refer to as a keg barnacle. I would go to a party, and I would latch onto the keg, and like a barnacle, man, I wouldn't leave that sucker all night long, right? So I am I am very much a drinker at this point, um, which, of course, growing up Baptist, that's, that's a no-no, if ever there was right. one. Yeah. So... Um, we're we're she's over at her house and she's not a drinker. She's never been a drinker. She's still not a drinker today. Um, I think maybe she's had five alcoholic beverages in her life. And so she's talking to my family. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, we went out to this club last night to go dancing. And like the second she said that to my parents, I was just like, oh, no, oh, she yeah. didn't just say that. Now I got to like have this conversation with the folks. I kid you not, she leaves, and as soon as she leaves, my mom turns to me and says, does she drink? (laughs) Like, (laughs) going to a club and dancing immediately equal drinking, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm a keg barnacle, and you're wondering if she drinks? If you had any idea. Yeah, because she was was the one that was going to save you, Pete. Apparently. So, anyway, that's... But it's funny, though, because, you know, having my son and looking at him, this dude at two and a half years loves to dance big time. Oh, that's great. Music comes on. 
I mean, he starts moving. And you're trying to tell me that like dancing's wrong or the the best was at church when uh, Chris Langham was preaching. You know, he's the better pastor that we have there anyway, you know. Yeah, of course. He's the real guy. He's the real one. So he was preaching one time and he was talking about dancing and it was funny to me because I'm like he's he's at this, at this time in his preaching, he wasn't used to the crowd at Refuge Long Beach. So he's thinking he's back in Orange County. <laughs> because I'm like looking at our audience going, our audience has no idea what you're talking about, but I fully get what you're saying because so much in the, in the church, like dancing's evil. And so yeah. he made this crack. He's like, what do you think? God's up there going, what are you doing? Why is your body moving like that? <laughs> and I was like, I totally got it, but no one else in this crowd's going to get it. Cause they're not growing up in the church like like I did. Oh, exactly. But exactly. anyway, I, my only point to all of that was, you know, um, singing and dancing before the Lord. I just I find it interesting that that's that was you know the the worship um, in the Old Testament yeah, and, well, and in the New Testament, and but really in the Old, you see it a lot it, there. It is like all kids are Pentecostals. I love like when you go into a. I don't like teaching Sunday school, but I like going in for a minute and getting the kids all riled up. But what I really like is like how into it they are, man. Like if you could take the energy from a Sunday school class and put it in church, church would be awesome, right? Like, like those kids, man, they're like, whoa, they're raising their hands they're clapping and stomping. So uh, years ago, my wife goes, all kids are Pentecostals. Yep. And I'm like, man, you were so right, you know? Um, and, and so here's the deal. Uh, going back to what you said, it's not about you or me. It's not about the music. The problem is when it becomes about the music. And that's what I'm saying. There are many more people that can play guitar and sing than can lead worship. Because the, the difference with leading worship and just playing music up front is that the guy who's playing music up front, it's about him. Yeah. The guy who is leading worship, it is about God. When he's up there, it's like constant prayer. And there is a difference. I would much rather have a sucky musician. And, you know, this is so like... Uh, counterintuitive and countercultural to say that because the the pendulum always swings in the church and i guess i'm just stuck on the setting because as a serial planner i have experience with so many different worship leaders that if you gave me a choice i would hands down pick the suckier worship player who goes up there scared goes up there uncomfortable goes up there apologizing goes up there making mistakes breaking strings hitting the wrong note but is up there for Jesus than the person who's like, I got this, you know, <laughs> no, let me show you my thing, you know, and that's the whole focus um, because it's like when you hop into the pulpit and you're like, man, I'm going to be so funny today. I'm going to be awesome. This is going to be a great, and you go up there and you realize I'm alone up here. Mm. The presence of God, has, you know, it's like Elvis has left the building. The Holy Spirit is, because the Holy Spirit's job is, it, it, Jesus said, when he comes, he will glorify me. So when you're in the pulpit and you're like, dude, I totally want people to see what an awesome preacher I am. And all of us have struggled with that. I don't care who you are. You've struggled with it. If you've ever preached, you've struggled with that. Um, Whitfield said that his greatest temptation was not his failures, but his successes, how to handle those. And so when people were saying, Whitfield, Whitfield, you're the bomb, and that's where he came up with, let the name of Whitfield perish. Let only the name of Jesus remain. And 
So when you're talking about worship, you got guys up there, exactly what you said, where it's about them and they're, they're still thinking like maybe a preacher thinks, Oh, I'm going to be on the radio one day. Or, you know, the worship leader thinks, you know, um, I'm going to cut a CD and this is just a stepping stone to, to me doing my ministry then he's completely lost supply. And unfortunately, those guys are all too dime a dozen because we have a Christian culture that produces a celebrity mentality. And so when you get the prima donna there, um, in, in the one place where, for, let, me just, let me just tell a little story about Jack and Diane, two American kids doing the best they can. Um, I was in a church plant, right? And we had we had a worship leader. He was good. He he bragged of having his own studio. He was talented. I mean, he was a total hipster. And he would get up there. And there were times where I think the presence of the Lord was really there um, because we were engaged in frontline mission. And we would we would comment. I'd always comment to him, "Hey, I really sense the presence of the Lord today." And he would kind of take it like, not like, yeah, you know, I did. Wow, that was so awesome. He'd be like, thanks. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And, and right then, like, I just knew, like, okay, but I inherited this worship leader. Um, my sending church was planning a church. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, un- unfortunately, I inherited him. And I, I would not, I'm not saying I wouldn't have picked him. I mean, he was really gifted, but there was just an, an issue. Um, and I can't judge him harshly because I've struggled with the same stuff as a preacher. You know, I, I regularly struggle. I, I called you the other day about something and I knew, I even said to you, I know this is total flesh, but here's my struggle right now. Boom, boom, boom. And we all go through those things. So I'm not trying to be really harsh or, or say, you know, he's uh, the devil for, you know, he's just a sinner, you know, he's just going through it. But but the issue for a church planner is we get so desperate um, at times, like where we don't have anyone to play music. I've, I've got a church planner named Cam. He's up in Washington. <laughs> and I love this. This is so typical church planner where he can't find a decent worship leader. So he starts taking guitar lessons. And, you know, hats off to him, man. Cause you know, I've heard of other guys where they just play like music tracks on a Sunday morning. Cause they're like, we don't have anything else. We just play backing. Really? Tracks, I've never heard yeah. of that. Yeah. But you know, you can always go like, you can always find, you can go to another church. You can always find somebody to come play the music. And you know, um, I want to talk about some practical ways to deal with the prima donna. I want to talk about, ways that you can get a worship leader. Um, I want to talk about a bunch of different things as they come up. And if, if you have questions, Pete, you know, of course, let me know. But, um, but, but basically, you're going to you know, let me talk we, on this one. That's awesome. You know, probably, probably, maybe don't get your hopes up, okay. but it, it is, it is a possibility right. at least. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, when, when you're talking about, uh, you know, like Cam Barber playing guitar. I so I have felt that so many times because you do get desperate if if you you think, well, what are we gonna do? So oftentimes the point is you're stuck with who you got, and so the question becomes, how do you deal with the prima donna syndrome? Well, I think you have to model it first off as a leader. And some people it's just so bread and bone. Like this one guy, he had been a model. Um, he 
you know, everything for him was about image. Unfortunately, it was a much deeper problem in his life where everything was image oriented from the hipsterism to uh, even the marriage where the marriage wasn't all they were portraying, but they just portray all the time how awesome their marriage was. And so I began to see that it was really so much of their life was wrapped up in image rather than substance. And that was carrying over on a Sunday morning and the worship was becoming a show so much to the point where one of the things I'm passionate about is having uh, your worship time be a vehicle for God to speak. So not just for us to speak to God, but like one of my, my, my maxims in church, when everyone's in a, in a regular church situation, when things go wrong, everyone freaks out and everyone's uptight and anxious and the pastor's all mad. He's mad at the sound guys because they screwed up or the overhead's not working and everybody's tense. And I hate that atmosphere, especially in a church plant where you don't have a building, you know, you don't have all the high-tech equipment. So everything goes wrong all the time. So I learned over the years to have the approach where I laugh at everything and when stuff doesn't go wrong, you've seen me, Pete. I make a joke about it from the front. It's so little about performance. And the strength of our service becomes about authenticity and the ability to laugh and say, well, you know, if you want a church that's really polished, you're in the wrong place, you know. And, and then I always say my mantra, which is three things. Um, there's only three things we really care about because these three things are biblical. Number one, that we hear from, or number one, that, that we hear from God. Number two, God hears from us. So that's worship, right? Number three, we hear from each other. So that's the interactive part. Well, the part where we hear from God, we hear from each other, and God hears from us is the part where you let the gifts um, operate. So I always like to have what's called open time during the worship set. And so with this particular worship leader, I would say, you know, just look, our, our services are so watertight that you, you know, not only could, you know, air not get through them, but like water, the living water can't even get, like the spirit can't break in because we got this like, you know, uber organized, polished routine set. And if the Holy Spirit wanted to break in, he couldn't. But from day one, I said, look, we need to have open time. And when church worship has become a performance to you as a worship leader, you're consumed about your set and you call it your set, like as if you're performing a concert. Um, but you need as a worship leader to be able to be sensitive to the spirit. You need to be able to, to sense if the spirit saying this needs to be a time of prayer now or ditch this song so that you can share something on your heart. Because I believe that the best worship leaders are worship leaders who teach the people how to worship. So like this session, right, Pete, we're hitting on a lot of different aspects of worship where you said, it's not about me. Um, that needs to be said from the worship leader. Worship leaders ought to be teaching or even like this. They ought to be saying things like, hey, this song uh, was written um, back in this year by this dude. And this is the story behind the song. And he's given the background. Now, when I sing the song, the words that I'm singing are so much more rich because I understand. Mm -hmm. The background, you know, it is well with my soul. When I understand that that dude lost his business, his home, uh, his three daughters to the great Chicago fire, and he pinned those words while the ship was floating over the very spot where his daughters uh, were, were shipwrecked. And I understand all those things. 
that really changes things for me. You know, I, I understand this man wrote this from a place where he had lost everything and I've never been there, but this man, the spirit of God worked on his heart so he could say it is well with my soul. Well, anyway, so going back to that, the worship leader needs to be super sensitive to the leading of the Holy spirit. And I remember I could not get this worship leader to just drop the performance and actually minister to the people a or B have open time where he wasn't in control. He wasn't the performer, but literally it was the people in the congregation. Now give them an opportunity to prophesy or to share a scripture or to pray out loud or to exhort the congregation. And I just could not do that. If that makes sense. That, that was, it was a major hindrance to, I felt the Holy spirit breaking in God speaking to us. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. It's, um, you know, something that you said earlier that I just want to bring up. I think you made the comment, teach people how to worship. What do you mean by that? Well, when, when you walk into the average church, right? Like most churches nowadays, we're so spectator oriented, right? The church growth movement is about 30, 40 years old. And when the church growth movement started, it was all about, hey, you know, it, it started in a really good place. Um, I know it gets a lot of heat, um, but but it started off with guys. I, I think in some ways they were they were trying to manipulate the lack of, of spiritual power in the church into methodology. And I'm not against methodology. I think a lot of things in church back then, 30, 40 years ago, needed looking at. The culture had moved on. You know, there was a lot of good coming out of the church growth movement, but there's no uh, replacement for power. But what what it was is that these guys were saying, look, you know, there's things that we could do that would help people to have a better um, worship experience. You know, we can look at the atmosphere. We can look at the lighting. We can look at, um, you know, can people understand things? We need to uh, serve up the NIV. We need to, um, you know, and so there was all these, you know, looks at the externals. And, of course, Richard, uh, uh, Richard, Richard Warren, Sir Richard Warren. Um, no, Rick Warren from Purpose Driven Church, uh, a lot of what he wrote is is kind of like the tail end of the, of the church growth movement. But his stuff was extremely good um, that he wrote in that book. And a lot of it was, you know, hey, I think about the guy who's just thinking like a missionary. I think about, you know, the yuppie who comes in in the 80s on a Sunday morning and he's busy. He's got this. It was looking at um, where people were at. But but the unfortunately, the dark side of the church growth movement is that it created a consumerist mentality on the part of people who attend a church to the point where, um, now when people go to church, they are consumers. Um, you go to a store, you know, a hamburger joint, you're, you're a consumer of food products. When you go to a clothing store, you are a consumer of textile goods. When you go to a bookstore, you're a consumer of intellectual property. You're a consumer everywhere you go. And so when you come to church now, there's that mentality. We're so used to being consumers that we come into church and we're not participants. And so when I say teach people how to worship, um, the, the, there's a few things. For example, um, 
there are things people constantly need to be reminded of. A, God wants to hear from you. So you walk into church, the consumer mentality during worship is everyone's just sitting there kind of staring off like, Mm. (laughs) you go into Wales. I kid you not. You walk into a Welsh church, people are singing at the top of their lungs. I'll never forget Fernando Ortega. Um, Now that dude is a worship leader, right? That dude was leading, um, and Graham Lotz did a, a conference, I think it was called Just Give Me Jesus, and she toured, and it was a women's conference. And I'm like, dang it, that chick is so freaking hot anointed. You know, the mantle from Papa obviously fell, not to Franklin. Sorry, Franklin, you're a cool dude, and thanks for the shoeboxes and all. But the anointing off your Papa definitely fell uh, to uh, uh, Anne Graham Lotz. Hmm. Um, which is his daughter. She's so freaking anointed. And so she was an incredible preacher. And I told my wife, I'm going to pull a Monty Python and I'm going to dress and drag and I'm going to sneak in at this conference. And so uh, there were like five dudes in a stadium. It was a stadium. She filled a stinking stadium um, in, in Wales, which is a, people would travel from hours around. It's unheard of. And so we went and heard her and um, Fernando Ortega was playing the worship. And he's up front on stage, and he was playing an old hymn. And at one stage, he just stopped, and he just listened. And everybody's still singing. And he, when they were done, he said, this is beautiful. He goes, I don't get this in America. He goes, mm-hmm. when, when I'm here. Now, remember, Wales was the land of revivals. Um, revival set into the church culture in a way where even I'm, I'm writing this next book, cha-ching, called uh, God Save the Church which is a return to supernatural Christianity. Um, the Holy Spirit's being forgotten in everything. Well, I, you know, I served for 12 years in a culture where going to Lloyd-Jones' church, where they experience revival, they still expect the Holy Spirit to turn up. So they pray things like, Lord, we pray today that we would experience the felt presence of Christ. It's not good enough for them, a promise where Jesus says, I'm there with you. Um, they accept that, and they're glad that Jesus said he will be, and they can have that confidence when they feel nothing. But in a culture that's been hit by revival, they will say, Lord, we want to feel you today. Because they knew what it was when the presence of God was very felt all throughout their culture. And so, um, you know, shoot, man. I mean, I could I could go on and on about that, which I won't. But um, but anyways, back to that. Um, it, what What Fernando Ortega was noting was that people were participating. And you can blow the walls and doors out of a place. When Lloyd-Jones was at his church in Port Talbot, um, I interviewed a woman in a retirement home who said, my parents were saved in you know 1930 because they were walking the dog out in front of the chapel uh, of Sandfields, Port Talbot, Aberavon, South Wales. And the place was packed out because there was many revival going on there. Um, God was just saving all these people left and right. And they walk by, walking their dog, not in church people at all, and said, what are people singing like that about? Hmm. And they're just rocking the house out. And so they tied their dog to the railing, went inside, and got saved immediately under the preaching of Lloyd-Jones inside. That's the stuff that, that I ministered under the shadow of for 12 years in Wales. That stuff haunts me. That stuff causes me to write the book like God Save the Church, cha-ching, uh, which isn't on the market yet. But... Um, because I know uh, things that have happened. I've seen things happen like that. 
Um, you know, I've been in seasons, Spurgeon from or 1857 to 1859 experienced a huge revival. And of course, that was the date of the revival of 1857, 1859. It doesn't have a fancy title. But if you read his sermons in the Metab uh, pulpit, uh, the Metropolitan Tabernacle is a volume series of sermons. I'm explaining that for Pete, and some of you don't know this, but if you read his whole volumes of sermons during those years, he repeatedly refers to the revival going on. You can't harness or control that. That is an act of the Holy Spirit. So going back to worship, people need to be reminded, number one, God wants to hear from them. He doesn't need to. And many people go into worship thinking, that uh, uh, you know, God knows my heart. God says, "Praise me with your voice." It's a witness. It's powerful. When non-believers walk in, uh, Paul in Corinthians talks about the worship experience for a non-believer when he hears God's prophecy, God being you know prophesying through a person. Great fear seizes him, and he knows that God is among you. I'll tell you, as a non-believer walking into a church uh, for the very first time, I was a teen. I walked in and I heard people worshiping and I had the same experience. When I looked around, they were all cool. They weren't geeks. They weren't like the, the nerdy homeschool kids. Sorry if you're homeschooled. Um, but they were, uh, they were like cool. They were kids that looked like they went to punk concerts and they were singing at the top of their lungs to Jesus. And I walked in and I was just, was intrigued. I was mesmerized. I was shocked. God had my attention. And I just, I remember thinking to myself, God is real to these people. And worship has always been a witness. And I think God, just think of it from the devil's perspective, right? Devil's all cheesed off at God. He's going and mocking uh, God using, you know, the world. And he's using, I know he uses the church. Revelation 12 says that he stood before the Lord accusing the brethren night and day. Um, you know, to God, you know, hey, they suck. Look at them, you know. Um, but when we're worshiping, Satan can't do it. It's like baptism, right? Baptism is a proclamation, a declaration of the Lordship of Jesus. Um, that just pisses Satan off. I'm sorry, but it does. And I want to make him angry, like like uh, Walter Martin used to say. He says, whatever, whatever the devil hates, I do. And so people need to be told that God gets glory from you. He wants you to praise him with your mouth. He wants you to sing out loud to him. And there's places in Psalms that are like, sing aloud to the Lord your God. You know, raise the instrument, clap your hands. Bible saying, go nuts, be a, be a five-year-old in Sunday school. Does that make sense? It does. You know, let me I'm, ask I'm on you, a rant, dude. I'm sorry. I'm on yeah, a total rant right now. That's the way you always are. So here, know. here's a question for you. I apologize. I'm just, just identifying. <laughs> Here's a question for you. What about, um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but to me, there's a difference, too, between worship leaders who lead worship and worship leaders who are themselves in the act of worshiping. And and what I mean by that is um, sometimes yeah, no, there, there are you. some people who I, I watch them lead worship and I'm uncomfortable because I feel like I'm intruding on their worship time. They're, you know, they're, they're in the zone, but I mean, they're not in the zone and leading. They're in the zone and worshiping themselves. They're, you know, totally closed eyed. They're not, 
paying attention to the people they're trying to lead in worship. They're just like in the zone. And to me, honestly, it bothers me. I feel like, you know, if you're going to lead worship, then lead worship. If you're going to worship, that's great worship. But I don't know. I mean, does that make sense? Am I just on my high horse and I should just, you know, take it down as notch? I think there's certain worship leaders. You and I have talked about this. They, they get under your skin. I, you've well, told there are definitely before. some worship leaders that get under my skin. But yeah. And and so here's the deal. To me personally, I I find it hard to worship alongside a worship leader who's not worshiping. I will worship in spite of a worship leader, but I'd prefer to worship with a worship leader. And you know, really, when it comes down to it, um, it's like preaching, right? Um, there are times where I've been concerned about the sermon. The sermon is a weird, wacky little invention that we've all made up in our heads. Really, what I'm supposed to be doing up there is being a mouthpiece for God. I mean, Paul even says just in your conversation, he who speaks, let him speak as if it were the oracles of God. And so how much more so preaching, where the Puritans used to call preaching prophesying. Um, There's an old Puritan named Perkins that wrote an excellent book called The Art of Prophesying. And that book is- We're not seriously going to start talking about books again, are we? No, no. I'm keeping Just a a step into geekdom for a second, (laughs) Pete. But, but that book is about preaching, and he calls it because the Puritans understood that when you speak, you ought to be a mouthpiece. The Holy Spirit ought to be coming and speaking through you, applying this, speaking directly to hearts. Same with worship. Worship needs to be stirred up. That's why in Psalms, you, you hear the, the Psalms that are motivational. You're the imprecatory ones, which are my favorite. They're like, God, break the teeth of that guy, you know, um, kill all the wicked people. Um, I love those. Because I feel that way, especially when I'm driving on the freeway. But, you know, the ones that are stirring, come, let us worship together. That's a worship leader's function. He's stirring others up. And so when, when, when this worship set becomes the thing, or when my sermon becomes the thing, and I forget what I'm really there to do. And I think for preaching, I forget that I'm there to be a prophetic mouthpiece to these people right now who are barely holding on. And I get them for 40 minutes a week and they need to not hear me waxing theological about the finer points of sanctification. They need me to give them a message from God, expository, albeit, but they need something. I need to be in the spirit. I need to be walking with God. I need to make sure I am all there. Uh, same with a worship leader. He needs to see this as an opportunity to teach people how to worship. And then as he's worshiping, he needs to be in the spirit. He needs to be worshiping. So I think he needs to be leading. But like going back to our story about our prima donna, I'll never forget. Um, I, I remember one Sunday, someone showed up and I said, oh, you know, and, and listen, I understand we've prepared, right? Um, you prepare sometimes as a preacher, but you know, you either throw your sermon out the window or you completely um, change it as you're in the pulpit. That happens, and you need to be sensitive to that. That's why if you read your sermons, um, you're not going to have the same freedom. I mean, that's just a fact, unless you are able to leave your, uh, you know, your written notes. But the reality is um, you have to be able to let God break in. And I'll never forget this guy, uh, he had prepared his set. And, you know, you can tell I'm not a great friend of the set set in stone. 
Um, but I said to him, hey, you know, um, this morning, uh, can we just change it up so that rather than speaking uh, three uh, songs in, um, there's something else I want to do uh, this morning. I, I, you know, and it was just something that occurred to me, like right there. And I understand people don't like being blindsided, and I try to be cool about it and everything, and I don't do it often. But as an occasional, hey, you know, I'm just being sensitive to this. I think if we play a song and then have him uh, do his testimony, it was like seconds. I'm standing on stage. It's like 30 seconds before uh, we had to start. Uh, he, um, he looked at me and said, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> like, and, and I was so shocked. Like, Check, I please. Worked... <laughs> exactly. I'm... I've worked with worship leaders over the years. That to me was almost like the death knell. I just knew, like, I'll, there's something. I mean, there were a lot of other issues. Don't get me wrong. Like, it wasn't isolated. There were a lot of issues, and I was just like, you know, this this is not good. If that's where he's at, this is a very, very, you know, like, just so arrogant. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Hmm. And I had never, ever had a worship leader who, A, was so arrogant you know, to, to tell me that it didn't work that way. Um, so we had to have a chat and I had to tell him, look, you know, uh, we're a team and sometimes I give for you when you've got something, but you need to be able to give and to also be sensitive to um, when things need to kind of be pulled this way or that way. And, um, and that was a shocker. I mean, that was a real shocker to me that, uh, that he would, would say that, but you know, over the years, I've I've learned how to deal with people. Like, in well, let's case, let's let's stop right there, Peyton. Let's actually dig into that because you're giving all these great examples, but you're not telling people here's how you deal with this. Yeah. So let's not speak to the worship leader because most of them aren't listening to this podcast. Let's talk yeah. to the church planner. How does Absolutely. the church planner deal with this? So if you have a prima donna, the first thing that you can do is you can get people in who, um, like from your sending church. Now, I understand if you've gone across the country, you know, um, boom, 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 don't do that. But what I would suggest, number one way to do it is to start having guest worship leaders play. Um, just like you would have a guest speaker come in. Um, don't feel like oh, I got this guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you tell them up front because worship leaders are like preachers. They like to get paid. You know, they've traveled. You cover their gas and you need to let them know, hey, look, you know, um, could you come play for us? Now, there are people. Let me just tell you, in any big church, there is a worship team. And behind every great worship team is a bunch of disgruntled people that didn't make the cut. Mm. <laughs> so what you do, like, for example, like um, your wife, Pete. She has probably the best voice in our whole church. Um, and, and I'm kicking myself because I've never gotten her worked in. I don't think. Have we ever had her sing? Not at this church. Uh, yeah. We did at the Sending Church. Yeah. Now, she's, she's They appreciated her. Yeah. No, she's got an amazing voice. And she's never been cheesed off about, you know, I could have been somebody, John, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there's tons of people just like Jamie who are just super gifted, have an awesome heart, and they've never really been used. Well, you know, pop them in. Um, right now, we've got this, uh, she's like 22 years old. Uh, I just, you know, she's really insecure. She's really unsure of her. She's so freaking anointed. I mean, she just, she goes up there and the spirit just pours out of her, right? 
um, and probably because she doesn't feel all together. But my point is that well, and she's you know, also willing to be, you know, coached and instructed on on the changes. Because I think I remember you saying, I don't know if it was on the podcast or in one of our conversations, you know, when you said, "Hey, I, I want there to be a time where people can." Um, you know, share what's going on or pray or read a verse or whatever. And um, she was like uncomfortable, but she was totally willing to do it. Yeah. She, you know, most worship leaders are like, I don't know how to take my hands off the steering wheel. Most preachers don't know that. Um, and that's what you're doing during open time. And so, yeah, I coached her on it. Um, this is how you lead it. This is, you know, and you can close it, but don't be uncomfortable with silences let there be a little bit of silence. That's okay. That's another place we've gotten to in church. Um, the Bible says, be still before the Lord. We we don't know how to do that as a culture anymore. We, we get uncomfortable like, oh, you know, it's quiet. God must not be real. You know, we, we have this weird thing. But without going off on that tangent, she is teachable and she's humble. And we can work anyone in um, at any time. And she doesn't get cheesed off. She doesn't get upset. You know, in fact, during open time, the relief to her was that she could be quiet during that time. <laughs> She's like the invisible worship leader. But she'll get up there and she'll share her struggles. She'll get up there and cry. Um, she'll say, I'm going through a really hard time. I've been depressed recently. Like, she's just awesome because <laughs> the church is like, yeah, me too. You know, and, and that authenticity and that reality that comes through, um, it's just great. But yeah, so you work people in and and I'll I'll never forget the first guy I had who came in, it, it was amazing because uh, he was cheesy. I don't know. Do you remember that guy, Pete, that came in and he was, um, he's like, he starts off, he's like, I'm on a date today. And uh, he's like, you know, I, I was like going to be here with you for the first time. And and he starts going to this thing about how he's on a first date with everybody. And, um, you know, and but God's here on this date too. And and it was, it, I'm sitting there going, this is cheesy. He's like, so I got dressed up. So I, I wore a, yeah. a red shirt and, and, and it was so cheesy. And yet here was the amazing thing is I think he knew it was cheesy and he didn't care. And he just started playing um, and he would stop in between every song and he would talk. Now, what was amazing was there was a bunch of non-believers. There happened to be that morning something like 10 non-believers from the neighborhood. And they were all sitting up front. And at the end, like I can remember thinking he was so different than what church people were used to because he just kept talking and joking around in between songs. Might have been his nerves. I don't know. But all I know is the, the non-believers connected. Because the way it, they're like, that guy was amazing. He made so much sense. <laughs> it was like he was so down to earth. He was explaining every little thing. And at the end, they're like, you know, that was like we went to a bar tonight and we heard mm -hmm. it. And, and the thing is, is he was totally lifting up Jesus. But his style was perfect for frontline. If you were going to lead worship with nonbelievers, I, I learned something that morning. I was like, that's how you do it. You know, you, you do it like that where you're interacting the whole time with people because they got that. That's something that they're used to. And he led them into every song and why he was playing that song and a little story behind it. And these non-believers are like, that was amazing because they got it. They got why That's we're actually doing a really good idea. I really like that because um, 
of telling the story, the background behind the song. I mean, obviously, I don't like the music. I've already we've already made a point of that. So at least telling the story to me would be interesting. You know, even if I've already heard it, you know, the story behind Amazing Grace. But still, I actually like that song. But um, but how cool would that be to hear the story? So maybe maybe and, that's and the instruction. So, Teach the worship leader to tell the story. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's part of leading worship. That's what I'm saying is is telling people why they should worship. Another thing you got to tell people, not just the background of the song, the meaning of the words. Like um, my one of my favorite songs, it, it, midway through it, it says, here I raise mine Ebenezer. What the heck is that? You know, you've I'm sure you've even sung that. You know, and not realize what it was. Well, the I probably mouthed the words watermelon, watermelon, <laughs> watermelon. <laughs> well, you know, you need to hear that. Like, that's an awesome story from the scripture, the Ebenezer Stone. You need to know what that means. And so, you know, when when we come down to it, basically that morning when we had that guy and he's doing the cheesy stuff, he's talking about why he wore a red shirt and why he wore white shoes and he was going through his wardrobe. It was awesome. Um I looked over at the worship leader. Now, I had asked the worship leader to take a break, right, because of just things in his personal life, not because of the worship, but it was actually a relief to have him take a break from the worship. And so the second thing is not just rotate people in, but ask him to take a break, you know, um, get other people up there. And But what I noticed with him was he was scoffing at the other dude. He was sneering. There was a look that he would get on his face um, when he didn't, you know, it could be anything, uh, could be web design, could be all the stuff that he did. He would sneer at other people and their efforts. And and that there was very much that coming off of him. And he didn't last beyond, I think, one more week uh, of guest um, um, worship leaders. But what was amazing was he was sitting up front next to these non-believers, and he was there when they were saying how amazing it was. And and so in some ways, that's kind of the point that we all come to where the Lord has to tell us, look, I don't need you. You know, uh, I, I can use just about any knucklehead out there to lift my name up if that's what he's about. That's Those are the people that the Holy Spirit seeks out. And so, you know, number two, tell him to take a break if he's a prima donna. And I know you don't want to do that, but visit these other churches, grab other people, get them on a rotation. And what happened with us, when I planted my first church in Wales, um, it was funny because my wife and this other guy, we had a guy who's tone deaf, and he laughed because he's like, I'm totally tone deaf. And he would sing, and it would, it would be like, uh, if you ever watch the Smurfs and you're a kid, do you remember the Smurfs? Of course. Remember Johan and Pee Wee? No. no. Oh, you got to remember Johan and Pee Wee. Well, Johan and Pee-wee, familiar, you know, but no. I... Yeah, they would they would ride around on the back of a goat, and they had a lute, and uh, and Pee-wee would sing, and he was so off key every time, and that's what it was like. This guy was a really gifted musician, but he could not sing on key to stay to save his life, and he knew it. But he worshipped, and as he was, he actually taught guitar lessons. And my wife would play with him, and sometimes my wife would lead, and she was unsure and hadn't really played in years. But the Spirit of God was powerfully present. And then we had, for Christmas, somebody said, hey, my uh, brother-in-law leads worship, and um, can he come over and do the Christmas thing? I'm like, sure. Have him give me a call, and we'll chat. So again, getting people in as guests. So, So we had him come over as a guest. And th- that night was so amazing. The guy was gifted. And I said to him, hey, like, 
where are you going to church? And he goes, oh, no, we, we live like 45 minutes away, um, and we're in another church. I might go, okay, bummer. And so what happened was I said to him, well, look, you know, because when you're a church planner, you're tenacious, right? You, you got cheek, as they say in Britain, or, or, or you got some gonies, as they say in America. You, you have to. And so I, I said, look, here, here's the deal. Um, would you come like once a month? And play for us and they go sure and I'm like we'll pay you 50 bucks <laughs> they're like done and they started coming over and they they he was a true worship leader in every sense of the word of what I described led the people taught the people exhorted the people uh, told the story like he was concerned not how he did or how people thought he was awesome or if he was ever gonna cut a CD he was concerned that they worship Jesus and that was it that's all he cared about and um, and it turns out over time, like I, it, it, they just came pretty soon. It went from every other week to, you know, or from once a month to every other week to finally I looked at him and said, why aren't you here? And they're like, we've been asking ourselves that same question after about nine months. And I went over to their church and I sat through their worship service that they didn't lead because they didn't make the cut at their church. They were so much more gifted. There was this cheesy you know, Hillsong wannabe worship team at their sending church. And I talk with their pastor and say, can we have them? And he's like, oh yeah, that'd be awesome. Please take them because we had to pass them by. They're just not our style. And they were so stinking good. And uh, so, you know, I was like, hey, this is, this is a win-win, man. Not only does the pastor not feel bad, these guys are just sitting in this church. They're using their gifts. We have a total need. And so uh, guys, all I'm saying is, you know, check with other churches. Sure enough, there'll be a pastor at, a, at an established church going, I have a couple and I feel really guilty. They're sitting in the pews every week not using their gifts. Mm. And, you know, boom, 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 if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that's 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 a great piece of advice because as church planners, I think, um, you know, we often think that we're the only ones out there. We're, we're in this thing alone. And in some ways we are, but in other ways we're not. And, um, but to be able to reach out to other churches and just be like, Hey, look, you know, we're looking for some, you started out, like you said, as the guest musician, we're looking for some guest musician to help us out with worship. You know, do you have somebody who we could reach out to and maybe have them do a week? And then you start to find good people that way. I think it's a great idea. You actually had a good one. I appreciate the good idea. Yeah, well, you know, it, they come every once in a while. But as far as confronting the individual before we close, because we have to wrap up, don't we? We do. I haven't even looked at the clock. But um, look, you know, as far as confronting them, you have to be careful. It's kind of like when you accuse somebody of pride. Um, how do you do that? You know, most managers in a business model will tell you, look, um, you know, back when I was working at Starbucks and I was training for, for management, they're like, look. Um, you, you, when you confront people, you need, need to have something that's um, a behavior. You can't uh, really critique someone for an attitude. It has to be something they said or did. And I kind of took that with me into church leadership because you've all, we've all been grumpy, right, going to church. And we're glad that someone couldn't read our mind, you know, because we're like, oh, that's not right. But you know, I got to deal with that, you know, but if you act out, if you start yelling at people, you know, those are behaviors that someone can address. They're tangible. And so when you pick up on these things, you 
can't really say to somebody, hey, you know, I see pride or arrogance in you, or I see, that's always a really bad way to confront, right? Because they might turn around and say, well, I see pride and arrogance in you. And like Charles Spurgeon said, I mean, I, I learned years ago that when people critique me or criticize me, I'm like, took you that long to figure that out? Yeah, you're right. I do have a lot of pride in me. When people accuse me of pride, I'm like, yep, yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? Good thing, good thing Jesus is there because I surely need him. Um, I have pride and I have arrogance and I have self-seeking and I have selfish ambition. I have all those things that are just part of the flesh. So you don't want to bust people's chops for being sinners. People are sinners. Your worship leader is a sinner. I, I hate to break it to you. And so are you. So to bust people over being sinners is just nonsense and something the church has excelled in for a long time. Whereas just accept that everybody's jacked up, including you, and deal with behaviors. And so when you're not seeing something tangible, um, like for example, we, um, we uh, with this particular worship leader, one of the things that would happen was he wouldn't start on time. And our service would start 15, 20 minutes late. And so we had to actually... He would say, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. And it actually got to the point where for nine months, I went and picked him up every Sunday morning to get him there on time. Because he said, oh, you know, we have all these kids. I can't get him there. So I went and I drove from an hour away, picked him up at his house, got him in the car and took him. And, you know, then when I got there, it was setting up the equipment. And so what we finally did is rather than waiting for him to kick off the service, we're like, we're kicking off the service. And if you're not ready, we're going to have a time of prayer. And you'll be back there scrambling and be all frantic, but we are starting at 11 o'clock. And so if you notice the way that we start now as opposed to how we used to start, we start um, by somebody uh, going up. Well, actually, now we have a worship leader where we can actually have her start at 11, and she actually just starts at 11. She gets on with it. But again, that was part of being a prima donna. Um, psychologists tell us that people that are constantly tardy or late, it's a sign of arrogance. It's a sign of, uh, you know, all these people can can wait for me. And um, and so that's something whenever I make people wait. Um, Is that why you're always late to all of our stuff? I, I knew you were going there. Yeah, Pete's like, you're always late on this Dude, podcast. No, you it, are it, it, always late. Hey, like, it drives me up the wall. Well, the, the, the reality is I know no it drives food. you up the wall. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> I just do it because it drives you up the wall. Yeah. No, the, the reality is, for some reason, when, when, when uh, we're scheduled, to, I have to pee suddenly. And it was like when I was a firefighter. Uh, before we did drills or exercises going off the ladder, everyone had to pee. And our fire station officer would come in and say, going for a nervous pee, gentlemen. And I think I, think I just always have to pee right before. It doesn't matter what time I come. I'm going to have to pee right before. So, But here's the deal is that uh, when, when it comes down to it, there's just, you know, at the end of the day, don't go looking to confront um, over it. Pray for your worship leader. And if there are specific behaviors, like when, when he said, look, it doesn't work that way. And he was really snotty about it. Um, I waited. I never confront on the spot. I said, okay. And I walked away. And because at that point, I wanted to punch him. And punching people on stage in front of your church is a really bad idea, <laughs> especially right before worship. I swear to you, if I had reacted, I would have probably grabbed him around the neck. And, the, you know, the, the Bible says you must not be violent. And I had violent thoughts. Get, make no mistake. But I thought, right, I've just learned in ministry over the years 
to let 24 hours go by, give me a chance to cool down, give me a chance to think about it, give me a chance to gather what I'm going to say, and then come back to it 24 hours later. And a lot of times when you do that, the other person, you know, Holy Spirit's been working on them too. And they come around and say, hey, I was really messed up and jerked. In this case, he didn't. He thought he was totally, in fact, when I confronted him over, he was really shocked that I would have the gall to uh, intrude on his worship ministry. And and so I said, well, you know, look, um, I know I inherited you and I and I really value a lot about you. But Did you say um, that to him? I know I inherited oh, you? Yeah, I did because I was paying him so much money. He was He was getting paid. A massive. He was getting paid at that time almost as much as I was, and you what? know what? Are you serious? I swear to you. I swear to you. And I was like, you know, I have I got gonna, a kazoo. I think you should put me on stage. Well, that's the thing is, and I was determined to not make his family suffer. So I never cut his pay. I never docked his pay. And, uh, you know, I, I was determined. I remember saying to my wife, I won't do that to his, to him and his family, you know, um, they need that money. And so we endured through this and I loved him a lot to the point where, um, I wanted him to pull through. He had so much going for him that to see him kind of overcome this blind, I mean, I've had blind spots, you know, you want to see a, a guy who's in that position. You just see the potential and, 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 and you know he's a sinner. So it's not like, you know, you're just like, oh, you're just this and that. I'm that way. But, you know, I recognize it. You know what I'm saying? And I have to fight it. With him, he just didn't recognize it. And, and I could not, uh, no matter how many different angles I came from, I couldn't make him see it. And so I, I would just say, be careful in approaching somebody about it. Use specific behaviors and just realize you may need to suffer through it a, a little bit to, to, to help that person, A, because it may take the Holy Spirit showing them that. Um, and you don't wanna be overly hard on people. You know, you, you, you wanna give them opportunity. But I, my hope was in giving him a break um, and allowing other people to come in that he would start to see some of the things that I had spoken to him about is he saw other people that were spirit filled that would come up, that would lead. It was all about Jesus. It wasn't about them that uh, they could see that and that he would um, be kind of almost kind of restored, you know, to where he needed to be because I'm convinced he had and probably still has great potential. And I would like to see that, you know, kind of used for the mm -hmm. kingdom. And, uh, and that's it. So that's all I got today. If you have questions about this, definitely hit us. You know, one of the things that Pete and I have been talking about is we want to hear your questions. We definitely want to hear your questions. And if the podcast has been, oh, and, and even uh, as far as topics, um, if you uh, want to hit us with topics, uh, we will consider doing a whole podcast around that. If there's just a burning question that you have that we're not answering, um, then hit us up for it. And lastly, if you by the way, I think um, I think in the future we should uh, allow me to say one or two uh, things as opposed to just being you all the time. I have to agree with Pete. So hey, that, there we go. You know, and I disagree with both <laughs> you and Jonathan Ferguson because uh, you know it, it's you know that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> So, you know, and if you guys have appreciated the podcast today and it's been really helpful to you, then, um, you know, go on to our site on iTunes and leave us a review. It yeah. definitely helps promote uh, what we're doing. And we want to get this out to as many people as possible. 
We want to well, break. We want to break past twenty three. We've been stuck at twenty three reviews for a while. <laughs> Have we really? Yeah, stuck at twenty three for I don't know month or so. Oh wow. Okay, yeah. So you know, if you've enjoyed it, please just uh, go do it, man. Stop what you're doing right now. Go do it. There will never be a better time. Another week will go by, and you won't have done it. And uh, that's a, that's all we ask of you, is to uh, return the love and uh, hit us up and let people know, and that'll that'll boost our ratings and our uh, listenership. So it'll put us out in front of more people. So anyways, God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Church Planner Podcast, reminding you, if you want to reach the people no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Check, please. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com.